Good morning, and uh, welcome to Journey Church. My name is Randy. It's so great to have you with us today, especially if you're a guest. Uh, so good to have you in our worship time. I'm excited about what God's going to teach us and, uh, and, uh, and lead us into today. And I want to thank my good friend James Keough uh, for reading uh, the scripture of the resurrection. Uh, what a beautiful reading. Man, uh, it was awesome. And um, I love what God's doing in his life and uh, just getting a chance to share with that. So thank you, James, very much. And because of what was read, we can talk about a very important topic today, a very important topic that we're going to be looking at uh, as we get into this. You know, every year, Merriam-Webster adds several words to their dictionary. In fact, back in October of last year, they added 455 words as our uh, language evolves and as words become more common, but they, they added 455 words, including words like amorite, which I thought must be some sort of mineral or some sort of stone or something. Uh, what about ism? There's another word that was added, and another word, uh, fluffernutter. So those were new words that were added to um, our dictionary uh, this year. And so I thought, well, it would be nice to know what those words meant, because maybe you can throw them out and surprise somebody. But the word amorite is not a mineral. It is actually slang for, am I right? Am I right? So you say it, amorite, amorite. So that's, you can use that's a free word for you. Uh, another word, whataboutism, uh, that kind of explains itself. It's the act or the practice of responding to an accusation of wrongdoing by claiming that an offense committed by another person is similar or even worse. So it's what about, what about so-and-so? That's, another, that's a word. That's a phrase, but it's a real word. And, and the, the word fluffernutter is a sandwich made with peanut butter and marshmallow cream between two slices of white sandwich bread. Now, I love peanut butter on a spoon. Well, I like it on a spoon. Anybody else like that on a spoon? Man, awesome. But I say we throw the bread away and we eat peeps, right? <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Come on. All right. So those are some words that you can use uh, out there. And some of those words today have unfamiliar meanings. I like learning new words a lot. But today we're going to be talking about a word that's very familiar to us, but I think even though it's been around a long time, maybe we don't understand and value and appreciate this word, and that is the word grace. You know, we sing about grace, we talk about amazing grace, but sometimes it doesn't seem so amazing because we've heard so much about it and we're so familiar with the word. We easily can slip over the most amazing part of the word grace. So I want to take a few moments, in fact, today and the next couple of weeks and talk about grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited and the undeserved favor of God. It's where God shows us mercy and forgiveness and kindness and patience and gentleness instead of the judgment that we justly deserve for sinning against him. God's grace cannot be earned by our actions or by our sincerity. It cannot be canceled out by our rebellion or by our sin. Because grace is based upon the character of God, not on us, not on our goodness, our sincerity, our performance, or even our ability to keep the law of God. Otherwise, grace wouldn't really be grace. That would be something else. It would be just kindness, maybe. But it's an extreme show of God's love and favor toward us that we totally do not deserve. But more importantly, grace is what saves us. That's why it's so important to know the meaning of the word and really impact the word. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So if we were saved by our own goodness, we could brag about that because some of us are better than others, right? We, we're more gentle, we're kinder, we're, we're just uh, better people in a lot of ways than others. And so if our goodness were to save us, we could boast. But Paul says it's not by our goodness, it is by the gift of God, it is by grace. And in fact, it is a free gift that is given to us. I like what Tony said in the video a little bit earlier, that it is uh, something that doesn't take a great deal of effort on our part because God's already done the hard lifting for us. It's a free gift that we can receive. It's a commitment, but it's a free gift. And it's given to us by God in spite of our sin. And so we should embrace His grace, embrace the grace of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So this is what happens whenever we miss the grace of God. We don't understand the grace of God. We tend to grow bitter and we become, become wounded and joyless and kind of toxic. We become a bitter person that no one wants to be around. And you know, we see a picture of the full spectrum of grace given in a story that Jesus told. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. If you know the story, you know that a father had two sons and his younger son wanted his inheritance now. And so after a while of probably discussing and arguing with his son, the father gives his son the, the resources or the blessing, the inheritance that he wanted. And if you know the story, you know the prodigal took those resources into a far country and squandered them away until he had nothing. And he finally came home asking his father, can I just be a slave in your household? I don't have anything, I have no way of support. And he came home, but you know the grace shown by the father, right? That's the principle of the story. The father was so forgiving of his son, so loving, he showed him grace and he restored him. He brought him back into the sonship role he had left and he, he blessed him and killed a fatted calf and everything. So the young man received the grace of this father. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that there was an older brother who had never left home, who had never gone far from the father, and who was spoiled, but he didn't know what grace was. And when his father showed this kind of forgiveness to his younger brother, he did not accept it. He went away bitter. So the Bible gives us the spectrum of a father showing grace, a son receiving grace, and someone who missed the grace that was shown. You do not want to be that older brother and miss the grace that God offers to us because it leads to bitterness. So grace is what shapes the way that God sees us, the way that God looks at us and God's willingness to welcome us into his family or to welcome us back into his family if we have left his family behind. But you know what? Grace doesn't end there. It doesn't end with God just showing us that initial forgiveness and acceptance and love. God's grace continues to flow into our lives because we continue to need it. We're always in need of the continuing grace of God, and grace has no limits. In fact, no matter what you have done, grace is greater than that. I know in a group of people this size, there's a lot of sin, and nobody's going to brag about their sin, I hope here, but if we were to lay our sin out, it would be pretty ugly, wouldn't it? There would be a lot of ugly things that we had done and said and thought because our humanness drives us to those things. And you may be sitting there thinking, but you don't know what I've done. And that's true. I don't want to know what you've done. You don't want to know what I've done. All right, let's just leave it out there. God knows. But let me say, no matter what you've done, God's grace is greater. It can cover your guilt, your shame, and it can also heal 
your brokenness. Because grace is greater than you think it is. And grace is one of God's greatest gifts to us. So today we're gonna take a couple of weeks here to talk about grace. And we're gonna begin today by talking about the fact that grace is greater than our mistakes. It is greater than our mistakes. You do realize you make mistakes, right? That's the first part of it. You are a sinner. Every one of us are, for sure. And that's the first thing that we have to accept, that we're sinners. And the more we recognize the ugliness of our sin, the more we can appreciate the beauty of God's grace. The more we can recognize the ugliness of our sin, the more we can appreciate the beauty of God's grace. In fact, our ability to appreciate grace is in direct correlation to the degree to which we acknowledge our need for it. Romans chapter 3 says, For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a tough thing for some people to accept. It really is. It's hard for us to acknowledge that. We all tend to think that we're not really that bad. All of us have probably had that thought through our mind. I'm not that bad. And one way we minimize our sin is to compare ourselves to other people. That's a great way to feel like you're not that bad when you can find someone else is worse than you, right? Worse than we are, we actually feel better about ourselves in light of their failures. And we might even celebrate their failures and point to them again to say, well, see, I told you I was better. I would never do that. But you know what? That kind of pride and that kind of self-righteousness is sin in and of itself. So you're sinning when you look down on someone else because they may be worse than you are. We don't compare ourselves to others. Rather, we compare ourselves to Jesus. And when you do that and see his character as displayed in the Bible, you always find yourself falling short. And that's why Paul says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Another way that we minimize our sin is that we weigh the good against the bad. The good in our life, the good things we've done versus the bad things, and we feel like we come out ahead, right? A few years ago, the New York Times interviewed uh, the then mayor, uh, Michael Bloomberg. And uh, he, he was 72 years old, and somehow the conversation kind of went to mortality as he was getting older. And the article said this, it said, Bloomberg had little doubt about what would await him on Judgment Day. Pointing to the work he had done on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, he said with a grin, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. It's not even close. You know, from his perspective, he doesn't need the grace of God because of the good things that he feels he has done. He deserves heaven on his own merit. When you get in a place like that, you're in a really dangerous place, especially some of the topics, I guess, that may be addressed there, even though they may need to be addressed. See, the only way for us to truly experience grace is to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we are sinners. Jesus never tried to make people feel better about themselves when he talked to them. He acknowledged that they were sinners. He never tried to minimize their sin. He never tried to say, well, you're not really that bad, you know, especially compared to other people. He always clarified that they were sinners without condemning them, never, never downplayed their sin. Instead, he explained that the one who realizes that they have been forgiven much is the one actually who loves God the most. That's what he said. Those to whom much has been forgiven, they love more. You know, I like this uh, quote by Jean LaRue. He said, if the biggest sinner you don't know, you know, isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. 
If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well because we all know ourselves and we need to be honest with ourselves about our sin. And that's pretty harsh, but a lot of us are kind of in denial about our sin and about our place. And a lot of us believe I do more good than bad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I must be okay, right? Because we don't want to admit that about ourselves. It's hard to deal with the things we don't want to admit. Lori works with a, a group of wonderful volunteers over at Journey Provisions. And one of the ladies she works with came in and shared this story about her husband the night before. They were having a conversation and he was confused about what his wife said. What he heard her say was that he needed a hairy chest. You need a hairy chest. He goes, well, I have a hairy chest. And she said, no, you need a hearing test. I may or may not be in the same state of denial as her friend's husband. But you know, our tendency is that we deny that we have a problem. We deny that we have issues or that we have sin until it reaches the point of being undeniable. You know, it catches up with us. And the undeniable truth is that we all have a sickness called sin. All of us have sinned and our condition is terminal because the Bible goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but separation from God. We inherited this sickness and this condition from the first man who was Adam. But you know what? There is a solution. There is an antidote to this illness that we have, this disease that we have, and it is the simple word of grace. Romans chapter 5 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of his forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that, other, of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful gift and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. I don't know if you noticed it in there, but two times Paul says it like this, grace is greater than your sin. Grace is greater than your sin. You know, I was horrible in math. Still, uh, I'm not good at that, but I do know that that sign that we use there is, means greater than. One thing is greater than another. Grace is greater than your sin. And two times in that scripture, he words that. So no matter, no matter what your sin is, no matter what your mistake is, God's grace is greater. Let me tell you, Satan has two strategies for your life. The first strategy is to assure you that you are fine that especially compared to everybody else and compared to your goodness, that you don't have any sin that needs to be forgiven. That's one strategy. And the second strategy is once you realize your sin, his strategy is to convince you that you, your sin is too big to be forgiven. If you realize you have sin, he want to put you down by saying you can't be forgiven from that. And that's where grace kicks in. Grace kicks in when you think that you're unforgivable. And in fact, grace will chase you down. Hopefully, you're going to let grace catch you. Some people allow it to. Others, full of pride, not realizing they need grace, they just keep running. Let me tell you a story. It's in John chapter 4. And uh, 
Jesus, uh, the Bible says there that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And that may not mean a lot to you until you realize that Samaria was a neighboring country that the Jewish people never went to unless they had to. But it said Jesus had to go. Now, the reality is there were other ways to travel where Jesus was going without going through Samaria. They would just bypass the entire country, take a long, um, sh- uh, long cut around it. They didn't have to go there. Most people didn't. But Jesus had to go there because there was someone he wanted to see there, someone he wanted to have a conversation with. He was full of love and mercy. Man, the cultural norms would normally have kept him from doing anything like this. But there was a woman that we don't know her name. We're called, she's called the Samaritan woman in the scripture. But he had to meet that woman. And he met that woman with a shady past, including five husbands that she had been married and divorced from. She was living with the man she wasn't married to currently. And Jesus pointed this out to her, knowing this about her, creating an awkward moment, as you can imagine, reminding her that her life was kind of a mess and it was dictating her future as well as her present and was alienating her from God, that this was a problem in her life. And he was about to introduce her to the kingdom of God. But first of all, she had to stop hiding her sin. She had to come clean. She had to admit that she needed forgiveness. You know, before we can experience the grace of God, we have to acknowledge our own sin. The fact that your temper and anger is a problem. Your drinking or your addiction, that's a problem. Your addiction to porn, your inappropriate flirting or sexual immorality, your uncontrolled spending, your unforgiveness, your self-righteousness and legalistic spirit or your judgmental attitude, your harsh tone, those are all problems. But they're all just, they're just a few of the things that you may be trying to hide or justify. And in the whole lot of other sins as well. Maybe it's a defensiveness on your part, or maybe there's some reluctance on your part to admit your sin because you want to admit it, you know you're going to be more responsible for it. Or maybe you think it just doesn't really matter to Jesus. Maybe you think you have gone so far that God doesn't even know about you or care about you. Because some people honestly don't believe that Jesus knows who they are or cares about them personally, or they believe that he doesn't just want any, just doesn't want to do anything with them. And that's how the Samaritan woman felt about him. When Jesus became personal with this woman and began to talk to her about her relationship with God, she tried to deflect. She tried to talk about religious and religious religion and religious arguments. She thinks Jesus is going to be more interested in a religious discussion or disagreement or debate than about her personally. I found it's really interesting how people like to throw up religious arguments, controversial topics when you begin to, to, uh, to talk to them to kind of take the pressure off their own sin. But when that doesn't deter Jesus, when he kind of circles back around to her, she begins to soften, but she still thinks that he's making an offer that's too good to be true. And why would Jesus pick this woman who normally he would never even speak to? Why would he pick her to save? And you have to ask yourself the question, why did God pick you to save? Why does God pick anyone to show his grace to? You know, some people feel like that the worst thing that would ever happen in their lives would be that their sin would be found out and their secrets would be exposed. But honestly, the worst thing that would ever happen in your life is that you might go through your entire life trying to outrun God, thinking that God wants to punish you when in reality, God is really just chasing you to give you what you can never get for yourself. 
People try to outrun God when God's just chasing you down, trying to catch you and show you the love and grace that he wants to display in your life. Now, before we leave the story of the Samaritan woman, let me just say that what she did was open up to Jesus and give her life to Christ. But then what she did after that and how she experienced grace shows it to others is amazing. Before that, she'd avoided people. Because of her sin and shame, she had hidden from them, coming to the well after other people had already come and, and gone home. But now, blessed by grace of God, she ran back into town to tell anyone and everyone who she had seen and experienced and what she'd gone through herself. Her shame was dissolved and totally gone because, and replaced by grace. See, grace is greater than any of our sin, greater than our shame, greater than our regrets. But you know what? We have to let grace in before it can do its work. We have to be receptive to the grace of God. And grace can only go as far as we will allow it to go. It will only go as far. Grace is a gentleman in a lot of ways because he will, uh, the grace of God will not force itself into your life. I want to look at two people with similar sins who handled them very differently. And they all kind of come back to the death of Jesus and even into the resurrection of Jesus. They all tie together. Um, these two people were Judas and Peter. You know, we know that Judas betrayed Jesus, right? He schemed with Jesus' enemies behind his back to betray him, to hand Jesus over them at night when he would be alone, and he did that. But you know what? Judas wasn't the only disciple who betrayed Jesus that evening because we know that Peter who was another of the 12. In fact, he was kind of the de facto leader of the group. He insisted that he would never deny, he would never fall away from Jesus. But when Jesus was betrayed and before the night was over, Peter had denied him three times before the rooster crowed. Jesus had predicted that. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter, Peter said, I would never do that. But when the rooster crowed and Peter realized what he had done, just what Jesus had said, he was so full of regret. He was remorseful. Judas was also full of regret. If you go on and read the story, when he realized what he had done, he tried to return the money he had been given. He tried to undo what he had done, but it was too late. Both were full of remorse, which is the right response whenever you realize that you are sinful. But these two men dealt with their regret and remorse differently. Judas was convinced that his sin was so horrible, so heinous that he could never, ever be forgiven, that God's grace would never be able to walk, take away his sin, so he went out and took his life. Most people honestly do not resort to suicide, but many people are killing themselves with regret and shame and remorse, and they don't feel like there's a solution. But on the other hand, Peter acknowledged his sin, and he repented. And he was one of the first ones to see Jesus that Easter morning. He encountered Jesus and he realized what he had done and he sought forgiveness from that. You know, we don't know the interaction between Peter and Jesus going forward. I, I wonder how it was, if it was just all forgiven or if Peter kind of hung his head for a while and, and, and it came a while to come out of his shame. We don't know that. But there was one morning after Jesus' resurrection that he showed up on the shore of a lake where Peter and the other disciples were fishing. And they were out in the boat and they looked on the shore and they saw Jesus and Jesus making breakfast for them. And Peter was so excited to see Jesus that he jumped out of the boat and he swam to shore, beating the boat, getting there. As they stood around the, the fire, 
Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Some suggest one for each of the times that he had denied who Jesus was or knowing Jesus. And every time that he was asked, Peter affirmed his love and Jesus told him, then feed my sheep. And I believe that this was confirmation that Peter was forgiven and restored and freed from his guilt and his regrets. Peter, you can't go on living in regret. You cannot be a disciple. You cannot lead the disciples. You can't be a witness for me living your life with that kind of regret. You got to understand, you got to forgive yourself. You got to move, move on. And I would say the same to you. Because remember, there are two ways that Satan tries to keep you down. Deny your sin and refuse his grace. And so the solution is to confess our sin and receive his grace and move forward with his life. Grace is greater than all of our regrets, greater than all of our mistakes. Grace is what saves us by faith that we have in Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to go to a time of response. We're going to be singing a song, and I'm going to be up front. Uh, Tony will step over here, one of our other staff, and uh, we have uh, Georgia who's going to step up to kind of be an intercessor here if you want someone to pray with you. I don't know what you brought in this morning. And it really doesn't matter, but let me say you can lay it down and leave with a much lighter load in your life today if we're willing to just let it go and give it to God. And that's the challenge that we have. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, then we would love to talk to you just to have a conversation that we can begin this morning and then we can talk about later. But the most important thing is that you understand and receive the grace of God today. And that's a decision that only you can make. We'll be up front. We'll be here to pray with you. If you want to come up and spend some time in prayer, thanking God for his grace, or um, maybe asking grace to be applied to some part of your life, just personally, you want to do that. Uh, we have the kneelers up here. Just make this a time of response and calling out to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. Father, may that never just be something that we say. But may it be something that we understand that your grace is greater than all of our sins, greater than everything, our mistakes, our failures, our regret, our remorse, our guilt, greater than all those things, God, and that you invite us to come to you and receive your grace, to experience your grace, and then to live in that grace. Lord, we prayed this morning for those here who do not know you, that Father, today would be the day they would, re the day they would receive your grace and open up to you. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise together and worship.